0: This podcast may include adult content. Boundoff is an independent nonprofit audio magazine committed to paying authors for their work. To join us in our mission of broadcasting great stories to a worldwide audience, please consider dropping us a dollar or two at boundoff.com/donate. Support for this episode comes from the Loft Literary Center, located in Minneapolis, Minnesota, one of the nation's leading literary nonprofits offering a wide array of online creative writing classes. For all levels and genres, online classes are offered seasonally. Find out how to register at loft.org. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. In this edition, we have two stories. They Vampire Nights by Douglas W. Milliken, and Ratios and Differences by Meng Jin. They Vampire Nights, written and read by Douglas W. Milliken. Listing time, 3 minutes, 35 seconds. They Vampire
1: Nights The bus stops and the woman gets off with the girl child carried tight to her chest. No one else gets on or off. The bus pulls away and they're alone. There are white chickens and animal sounds and human sounds surrounding and the girl weighs nothing in her arms. The woman stands where the bus left them for a long time. Just looking, not sure which way to go. Mud streets and thatch roofs and tin roofs and smoke. Food is being cooked, but not for them. The woman chooses a direction and walks into the town. She thought she'd recognize more faces once they were here, but she doesn't recognize anyone. She had not counted on making this mistake. It is not yet dark, but coming. And sometimes she's surprised to turn a corner and run up against the forest's black wall. Or sometimes the forest lunges into town, cuts off a street, as if reclaiming what it once lost. There are children running, and dogs too, in the narrow paths and alleys. But all of them seem so far away. Their barks and laughter distant echoes in a valley. This town, the woman reminds herself, is too small to get lost in. This town is too small to get lost in. Held tight to her chest, the girl child is a silence. Arms fastened around the woman's neck and shoulders. One cool ear pressed to her cheek. There will be no other bus until morning. She barely weighs a thing. Like water in a leaky tub, the light drains from the air, grows thinner, people giving her space to pass as her hunger becomes a living thing in her belly. But she's ignored fiercer animals before. It is a tense, dimming hour of looking before she finally leaves the girl at a friendly-looking house, wide eyes gleaming with sympathy taking her in, then crosses back through town to a tin-roofed building with a brightly colored mural painted on its walls, green and yellow and orange. Standing outside the building's door, She feels like the animals of the forest are taunting her. But this forest is made of paint. Inside is a packed dirt floor, a wooden stage, and little else. A man on stage runs records on some turntables. The music is loud, with a playful sort of swagger. But there is no one here to dance to the music but her. Distant echoes in the valley. The woman does not dance. Sometimes the man slips on a pair of chunky headphones and leans in close over the turntables. Then the music changes. The woman knows there is music in the cans, but it's a different music. What the man hears in the headphones changes the music in the room. She wants to hear those changing sounds. Listen to what they say. What kind of sound can change the shape of a room? What song can become another song? It is not yet night but coming in a taunting forest made of paint. She steps up to the stage and gestures that she'd like to try the headphones, to hear the music inside the cans. She points to her ears and points to his head. She nods and does it again. But the man pretends not to understand. The music becomes something else. Then it becomes again. She turns away from the stage and sits on a bench along the back wall. She looks at her wide feet pressed into the dirt floor. The music sways in its hips, then it bounces on its heels. What can change a room? She wonders where the girl has gone. Then she remembers. There will be no bus until morning. Outside is finally night. She can hear it, their voices beyond the walls. She presses her feet into the dirt floor and waits for the room to fill with dancers. The music becomes, then becomes again.
0: Then, like a spell, they are here. Douglas W. Millican is the author of the Codex White Horses, Nada, 2010, and the forthcoming letterpress edition, Arena. Clark Avenue, Inc., 2014. Other work also appears in McSweeney's, The Believer, and Slice. www.douglaswmilliken.com. Ratios and Differences Written and read by Meng Jin Listing time, 9 minutes, 8 seconds.
2: Ratios and Differences Nowadays, it's hard to find a woman, he says with a pretty face and pretty feet. I say, is that so? I say it because I'm afraid that if I don't respond, he'll evaporate. He has appeared to me on this faux rustic trail a breath away from the city, where I was walking alone barefoot, grasping at the tails of a petering heartbreak. That is to say, I was looking for a person to love. Once, he says, I cultivated a foot fetish. It was an exploratory time. Or, you could say, I was bored. He nods, as if he's explained something. I look at my toes. A flap of purple nail polish has chipped off from the big one and the pinky toe on my left foot has, over the years, evolved into an impressive callus. There is a dab of purple on what could have once been a nail, but it's mostly just for show. He scans me with cold eyes. Years later, after he's broken my heart, he invites me to visit him in New Mexico. I want to tell him. You can't just invite me to New Mexico when you've broken my heart. But I bite my tongue. It isn't the invitation I want him to take back. Besides, it's an exploratory time. I tell my boyfriend, a younger man I'm afraid to love, I'm going to New Mexico to see a man whose memory I love more than I think I love you. But, the younger man says, Your vacation days are so precious. It's a fair point, I say. You may have traveled the world, but I've never even seen the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon is in Arizona, he says. His arms glisten, the muscles round and taut, and I consider how pretty and smooth he is, with equal ounces of endearment and regret. "'Don't show off,' I say. "'I wear sandals, though it isn't quite warm enough. "'I glance from my feet to his face. "'My feet are turning blue. "'His face is wearing the intense look, "'the one that makes it difficult to tell if he cares. "'He isn't looking at my feet, and he isn't looking at my face. "'Instead, he stares at my breasts.' I wonder about the correlation of breasts to faces and breasts to feet. He stares at my breasts and I stare at my feet in his face for a long time, wondering if we're going to fuck when his friend Brutus, who sometimes comes over to smoke his cannabis, comes over. Whoa, he says, looking at my feet. Nice paddaya. I am wearing a blushing coral nail polish this time, and nothing is chipped. Brutus slips an arm around my waist and says, You want to get out of here? And we go into my ex-boyfriend's bedroom, where Brutus pushes me onto the bed and we start making out. He's just about to deep throat me with his tongue when my ex-boyfriend comes into his room, swinging a steak knife, grabs the back of Brutus's shirt and pulls him off of me. Get off of her, he says. Brutus says, no way. I'm wondering if I should stand up for Brutus when my ex-boyfriend starts to plunge the steak knife into Brutus's heart. I jump off his bed and throw myself in front of Brutus. No, I say. I love him. The knife grazes my cheek. I wipe away some blood. Later, when everything's worked out, I get my suitcase and leave with Brutus, who apologizes for not carrying my bags. He's normally a gentleman, he says, but he's just been stabbed. I understand, I say. At Brutus's place, I nurse him back to health. Maybe thinking that the hole in his chest represents the subtraction of my ex-boyfriend from the younger man, or the negative of the sum of my ex-boyfriend and Brutus, or the sum of the differences of the two, and soon, we can't even tell, there was once a hole. Brutus and I do the things people do to fall in love. We eat from each other's hands. Sing, shout our favorite songs. Carve our initials into the furniture. Write poetry for each other and weep while holding hands. We almost have a child. Then it's time to go back. Goodbye, Brutus, I say. I think about the younger man in New York with a twinge of warmth. I think about his calves, how round and hard they are. I think I may be ready now to love him. Brutus waves and presses his hand over his heart, where there was once that hole. I touch my cheek. The cut from my ex-boyfriend's steak knife has become a scar, and the scar grows bigger every day. My younger man glows. While I've been in New Mexico, he's been at the beach, and his skin has this healthy luster that makes me want to rub my face all over it. I'm back, I say. My younger man says, squinting at my face, You've gotten so old. Is it even you, he says. Your face is gashed. Your feet are lumpy. Your butt accentuates the cellulite around your legs. Everything's changed. A world weariness lines your eyes. Your cheeks sag. Your step is not carefree. And frankly, you don't even seem like the person you were. I wait for him to say something nice. You aren't ugly, but you'll never be beautiful again. I say I understand. Not because I do, but because I don't want to say, after everything, I did come back. I am older after all, and understanding should come naturally with age. My younger man's sheets and blankets twist on his bed, orange and yellow and red. In the wrinkled mess we might have made love but his door will close behind me and he will vanish so perfectly from who I am that on the street in the reflections of storefronts and strangers eyeglasses in the puddles of last night's rain I will not even appear changed. I look at him one last time and I admire for the first time how well-proportioned he is, though it isn't that the ratios of his feet to his face, his muscle tone to his strength, his height to his presence, or his words to his heart, are just right. He certainly is not perfect, but his imperfections come together so that, as a man, an existence... He somehow makes sense.
0: Meng Jin was born in Shanghai and lives in Brooklyn. She is currently pursuing her MFA in fiction writing at Hunter College in New York. Listener support at Bound Off is made possible by grants from the Kern Family Endowed Fund. Further support comes from the Google Grants program. Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off. Copyright Bound Off and the respective authors. All rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts and how to submit your stories.